so I grew up in an environment uh, in church and in my in the the religious context that I grew up in. We believed that the Bible was inspired by God. Uh, I grew up loving the stories of the Bible. I grew up memorizing scripture. I grew up uh, realizing that the Bible had some very practical things to help us kind of in our lives. And that was always something that I encouraged and, and I really did enjoy. I grew up in that context where we had a high value on scripture and on the Bible. And uh, one of kind of our hallmark or, or key verses that we had was uh, this uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, verses 14 through 17, it says this. Let me read it to you. It says, uh, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those, because you know those from whom you have learned it. In other words, it's not so much what you know that you know that matters. It's who you know that knows something that's been just as impactful to you. Uh, he goes on to say, and, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to help you uh, find, uh, help you to be wise, make wise decisions, and, and find salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, all scripture is God breathed. In other words, it's the very breath, the 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 ruach uh, is the original word there of God, the very breath of God, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God or the follower of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work, so that we are thoroughly equipped, not missing anything, uh, kind of in every good work, and. Uh, that was a, a hallmark scripture for us. Uh, it's a hallmark scripture for me, something that I, I believe deep to my core, deep in who I am. And I had this great value and appreciation for, for scripture. But uh, on the flip side, uh, there was one thing that, that I couldn't help but remember is that anytime there was a conversation, anytime somebody brought up uh, the phrase, the, because the Bible says so, uh, it was kind of like end of discussion, end of argument. There was nothing more that you could say because, I mean, how can you actually argue with the Bible? How could you ever uh, say anything against the Bible? If the Bible says it, well, then by golly, that's how it's going to be. And there was kind of like no more discussion. It was, it was kind of the like uh, when kids get in an argument and uh, you're, they're arguing back and forth, no, nah, not me, or not it, not it, not it, not it, no backseas to infinity, right? And all of a sudden that like ends the discussion and no more uh, conversation back and forth. And I think that sometimes um, in life, many people have experienced this because the Bible says so without actual any level of empathy, any level of uh conversation and it just kind of like was cold and shrill and for a lot of people the childhood faith that they loved as they grew up they began to see a growing gap between the faith that they had as a child and the life experiences that they've had as an adult maybe it's tragedy or adversity that they've come across but something has caused this separation or this gap between the faith that they had and the experiences that they have today. And I think that sometimes, uh, even inadvertently, people would take the Bible and use scripture to talk at people rather than actually uh, enjoy and grow with other people. And too often, I think the Bible has been used as a bullying rod to kind of get people to do what you want them to do, or bullying rod to manipulate people into obedience and to get them to do something that only you want them to do. And that's not really what scripture is designed for. There are things that 
Obviously, I believe Scripture inspires us. But too often, it's, it's too easy just to take a Scripture and make it say what you want it to say rather than allowing it to speak and reveal who God, who God is. And for some of you, you didn't grow up in an environment where the Bible was really anything. In fact, for, for many of you, uh, you've kind of grown up not in a biblical context at all. It wasn't anything that, that you had uh, kind of a, an orientation to at all. And so for you, you've just kind of looked at people and, and wondered, what's the big deal with the Bible? Why is it such an important? And, and for you, you might be even on the skeptical side of that sitting back saying uh, how, and from your perspective, it may seem like people who believe the Bible are just a religious bunch that kind of buries their head in the sand and denies all form of any earthly reality. And that may be the perspective that you're listening with today. And and, and for all of us, no matter we came up with a, an appreciation of Scripture or we kind of understood Scripture, but it was really confusing and it was kind of boring and drab and we just done with it, or, or maybe you grew up skeptical, antagonistic even towards faith. Um, I think all of us at different points in our lives, we have to come to the conclusion and come to a point where we have to, to, to wrestle with some of the things as it relates to the Bible. And for many people, they would like to believe in God, but they have a problem with the Bible. They have a problem with the Bible. They've, they've heard things like, the Bible isn't even historically legitimate and, and you can't trust it. For many people, it's a matter of, aren't the Gospels uh, some, some uh, legend that they added in all sorts of rewrites later? Uh, for some people, they have things like, uh, there's a long list of contradictions in the Bible. And so you can't really trust what the Bible is saying because it even contradicts itself. And uh, why does the church only include four Gospels when people like Thomas wrote a Gospel and Peter wrote a Gospel and all these other Gospels, why are there only four in the Bible. And, and, and I think for a lot of people, uh, more than anything, especially in today's society, we have this a question and lingering kind of uh, viewpoint that says that the Bible is just full of ancient and outdated moral teachings regarding things like uh, chauvinism, stonings, slavery, sexuality, homosexuality, hell, all of these things, these are just outdated moral things and uh, religious things that really don't have any bearing on our life today. And I think that um, no matter where we find ourselves, if we will open our hearts honestly, and, and today I wanna share some things that I've discovered, some things that I've learned both in books and just in reading scripture and in study, that I think will help us gain an understanding and perhaps answer the questions that we have about the Bible, the problems that we have about the Bible. So first, let me ask, answer this question. What is the Bible? What is it even? Well, the Bible is 66 books penned by at least 40 different people over a period of 1,500 years. Um, but I really do believe that it was only authored by one person, and that is God himself was authoring this, inspiring men to write down accounts of things and 66 different kind of writings or collections of writings all put into one book um, and, and so many different ones, but written over a 1500 year period of time, written over a span, not in two years, not in three years, not in four years, but over 1500 different years worth of writings brought in into this one collection that we call the Bible, or as we know it today. Now, within the Bible, you have 
uh, information about wars that actually historically happened. You have stories, you have uh, diaries, you have songs, you have poetry, you have prophecy, you have um, correspondence that we read. We see humor, we see metaphor, we see allegory, we see fantasy writings especially in, in the book of Revelation. And everybody's trying to figure out who the dragon is and why there are so many heads to it and what does 666 really mean and who is the Antichrist and all of these allegorical uh, writings that we have. And the Bible contains all those kinds of writings for us today. And they're broken up into to two sections. The Bible is broken into two sections. One, uh, the first section is the what we call the Old Testament. It's 39 different books. And then we have what we call the New Testament, which is 27 books. And it wasn't until the year 1560 that the Geneva Bible was first printed with chapters and verses all throughout it. In other words, when these writings were originally penned, they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses, there weren't reference numbers, there weren't page numbers. Those were added in later uh, throughout all of the writings that we have so that we could uh, easily find and reference things in, in the Bible. What I think is really interesting about the Bible is that I really do believe that it is one consistent theme. And that theme is this, that God loves you and Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that it is truly just this love story written by God, capturing our hearts and pointing to this one man, Jesus Christ. Uh, another thing that I find really interesting is that almost all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament books, almost all of them are referenced at least one time within the context of the New Testament which I think is pretty outstanding because they're written in centuries apart that some of the writers were educated and would have known some of those references and some of them didn't know and wouldn't have known them, but they still were able to include in reference or, or connect in. And, and I just think it's a really, really unique book that has stood the test of time and that for years, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a verse, I think it's in Isaiah where the prophet says that uh, heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will last forever. And uh, century after century, we find ourselves still with these writings that are still around and relevant and pertinent to, to our lives. So what's the problem with the Bible? So what's the big deal? Why do people have a problem with the Bible? Well, I think there are there kind of are, are three main categories of why people would have a problem with the Bible. The first is this idea of contradictions, that there are a lot of contradictions in the Bible. In fact, one scholar uh, says that there are over 400,000 errors total in Scripture. But that's a little bit misleading because they're not actually counting individual errors. They're counting an error multiplied by the number of manuscripts that you would have. So let's say that uh, there was... Uh, one uh, slight error in the Gospel of Matthew in one particular verse, but we have 3,000 copies of that book, well, they would say that that's not one error, but rather that's 3,000 errors. That's just kind of a weird way to do math, if you ask me. Uh, in fact, that same author and scholar, uh, somebody did uh, some counting and found 16 different errors in his first book alone. And because it sold over 1 million copies, well, there you go. That's like 1.6 million errors in his own book. Uh, so I don't think that's quite really the way to look at it. In fact, there are really only two clusters 
of Scripture that we have in the New Testament where people would say those kind of contradict or they didn't show up in early manuscripts. And as believers, as Christians, that's not anything that's hidden. In fact, if you open a Bible and uh, you start flipping through the pages and you find it, I think one's in, at the end of Mark and the other, I think, is uh, in John 8, uh, they're actually identified. And it says some of the earliest manuscripts didn't include this section. So it's not anything that's hidden. It's just saying, hey, we found this later. It wasn't in some of the earliest manuscripts, but it kind of plays into the story. And so we wanted to include it here uh, as an option for you, you to read. And a lot of times people like to cite the contradictions between the different Gospels. We have four different Gospels that were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they say that the accounts of Jesus are different, where it's not the same. And they're right, it's not the same account. Why? Because they are four different authors who are writing to four different audiences to, to accentuate and highlight and drive home a slightly different perspective than the other had. But the, but the ideas are similar enough that you see the consistencies. In other words, there might be differences in the details, but the consistency of the story remains the same. They all believe, they all talk about Jesus living. They all talk about him doing miracles. They all talk about him dying. They all talk about him, you know, being, being raised to life and pointing to him as the son of God. But they, they accentuate different details in certain parables or in certain accounts of um, healings and miracles that take place. Everyone does this. In fact, if you were to uh, interview people who saw the same thing but were uh, maybe attended a concert and one sat down on the floor and the other one sat way up in the balcony and you were to ask them to share their story, they would share some different details and different scenes and a different experience to, to the effect, but it was the same concert, the same set list, the the, the same noise that was there, the same event happened. They just had different, different perspectives. I do this in my own teaching. Uh, there's an illustration that I've used a couple times now at church about uh, playing dodgeball. And uh, uh, one time I told the story, I really emphasized some of the details that talked about like inner character and competitiveness because in that particular story, I kind of got in trouble because I was being too competitive and I was kind of letting that that evil side come out. Uh, but in another time, I used it as, as some humor because in that same day, in that same occurrence, I hit a girl in the face two times with a ball, didn't really have remorse, but it's okay because she still married me. Uh, and it was a, a funny story about uh, an interaction that my wife had early on in college. Now, each time I've told that story, it's been basically the same rhythm of events, but I've highlighted different details in each of the story to illustrate a different point. Now, am I lying? Well, no, it's the same story. It's still my story. I was there. I lived it. But in each telling of the story, I'm accentuating a few different details to drive home a different point that can be illustrated of the same event. And the, and the writers in the Gospels are doing the same Thing. And here's, a, here's another reason why people have a problem with the Bible. And that's this idea of cultural uh, a antagonistic. In other words, they, they say that the Bible is culturally antagonistic to our world today. Things like slavery. They, they read about how Abraham had slaves and different people had slaves. And Paul writes in Ephesians that slaves should obey their masters. And, and you read that and you think that the Bible is condoning slavery. But you have to understand that the Bible was written, obviously, in ancient times. 
And just because it's writing about something doesn't mean it's validating that thing. But even then, you have to take it a step further and look at the context of the culture in that day. In fact, in first century, uh, in the first century, that over 80% of inhabitants of Roman Italy were slaves or of slave origin. They weren't treated ill. They weren't treated like they were segregated from society. They didn't have to ride their own separate bus or take their own separate chariots, right? They didn't have their own separate bathing quarters that only slaves could use and only, and it wasn't based on skin or gender or anything else. It was the main way that people were employed in that day. That's how people made a living by working for other people. Happened to call them slaves. And and they weren't tortured. They weren't uh, treated ill. By and large, again, that 85 to 90% in that first century, first and second century, were treated very well. Think of it like the modern uh, factory worker, right? Where they have a job that they do, that they get compensated for their job, and they work in mass production on things with lots of other people assembling and doing different things. And so a better understanding of what the Bible is saying is talking about employee and employer relationships. And so in no way does the Bible condone slavery and say, yep, everybody should have slaves and that there are people that are better than other people. No, that's not the message of the Bible really at all. And it's a very shallow interpretation of what the Bible is is talking about. But then you have things like polygamy or how women were treated. Again, there is a world of difference between the Bible explaining what is happening in a context or in a story and God actually affirming and encouraging us in what is happening, that it should continue to happen. I don't think that there's any logical person and I don't think God would ever come down and uh, to say, take many wives. Like, I have enough trouble just keeping one wife happy. Like, I have no desire to have, like, sister wives and all sorts of other uh, things on the side. It just would be exhausting and insane to even try. And the Bible isn't saying that we should do that. In fact, later in the New Testament, we read that Paul writes and says, hey, listen, if you're going to be a leader in the church, you need to be uh, somebody who is the, the husband of just one wife. Not many, just just one and it was, God was explaining what was happening in that context, not necessarily saying, absolutely, here's the deal, do it this way, because all of humanity has always had a free will. And when it came to the treatment of women, there are some things that you read about and you're like, this is just not okay. And it's, and it's not, but the Bible isn't saying that that's how you should do it. In fact, again, in the New Testament, we read, we read lots of examples of God saying how we should treat women differently. And I don't believe for a minute that there should have been a separate class or that they should be demeaned or spoken down to or anything along those lines. In fact, women had a very prominent place in Jesus's ministry. Jesus involved women in ministry and the early church was involved with women in ministry. And so the ill treatment of women has no merit in scripture whatsoever. And anybody who says that it does is just plucking a scripture to try and make it say what they want to fancy their own personal view. And it's just not right. And so we have these cultural things that we wrestle with because they don't match our current culture or even more. And this is really the third reason why people have a problem with the Bible is the Bible doesn't match their personal preference. And this is a tough one. 
And even for me personally, there are some things I just don't like that the Bible says, but I didn't write it. There are lots of things that don't fit my preference, but I didn't write it. Like, I love to eat and I love to go to buffets, but the Bible is pretty clear about gluttony, right? Like having this incessant need and allowing food to control you, it's clear on it. And it's not, it's not really something that, that there's much room for, but I, I just don't like it. The Bible is pretty clear about gossip. And he talks to us about how gossip is awful and God hates it and we can't use it to spread evil things about other people. But so many of us without a thought do that all the time and we don't like it because it's not our preference. It's not convenient. It's not our upbringing. It doesn't seem to fit in our worldview. The problem is we don't get to live by our own preference and the Bible demands that we live based on God's priorities. But the good news is when we live according to God's priorities, we live in the promises of God. We get to live with the blessing of God, the prosperity of God, when we're living according to God's priorities. Just because I don't like the truth doesn't mean it's any less true or valid. And so a lot of people, for many people, they don't want to uh, follow the Bible and they have a problem with the Bible because it doesn't align with their personal preference. And I get it. It's not an easy thing to wrestle with, but I think it's important that we trust the Bible. And it's not a reason to throw out the Bible just because we don't like what it says. So why can we actually trust the Bible? How do we know that we really can trust, trust the Bible? Well, there's a, there's a, a few reasons, and I'm going to kind of run through these a little, little quickly here for the sake of time. One is original manuscripts. Uh, uh, validating a book of antiquity required, it has two measuring uh, components to it. One, the number of original manuscripts and uh, the copies that we have. And two, the amount of time between when the events happened and when the writings were done. In other words, if something happened uh, in one year, but you waited 20 years to write about it, well, there's, there's a gap in there. Uh, and so the shorter the gap, the more trustworthy the the account. Um, so uh, when it comes to the Bible, we have more manuscripts of the New Testament and of Scripture than we do of any other historical book or account written, uh, more than any of them. In fact, we have five copies of Aristotle's Poetics. We only have a few copies of Caesar Gallic Wars, and we only have two ancient biographies of Alexander the Great, only two. But all of those are taken to heart as these are valid, trusted writings of, uh, of antiquity, and we can trust them. But here's the deal. Each of those uh, were written between 400 and 1500 years after those events occurred. So the writings that we do have were written nearly 400 at the earliest, 1500 at the latest, of when those things were actually, uh, when those things actually occurred. Now, on the flip side, comparing it to the New Testament, we have 25,000 copies of the New Testament. And the earliest accounts were written uh, as early as 40 years after Christ, after he died, 40 years after they occurred. That's a much shorter period of time than those of many of the other ancient writings that we trust and teach and are in circulation today and don't really discredit or discount. So when you just look at the number of original manuscripts and the amount of time between when the events occurred and when they're written, you have to look at the Bible and say it's a really trustworthy document just on that, that, that merit alone. But then you have something like the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Over 300 prophecies fulfilled 
from the Old Testament that Jesus himself fulfilled. 300. That's amazing. Um, there's been uh, a book that uh, uh, was written by a man by the name of Peter Stoner. It was a book entitled Science Speaks. And in it, he talks about the odds of Jesus completing just eight of those prophecies. Just eight of them. And he says that the, the probability that Jesus could complete just eight of them is one to 10 to the 20th power. That's 10 with 20 zeros following. I don't know how to say that number. Huge number, right? 10 to the 20th. Now, if uh, the way probability works, say you have 10 tennis balls, one of them is painted white, the other nine are green. A one in 10 chance is you reaching into a bucket, pulling out that one white tennis ball. Well, the chances of one in 10 to the 20th would be something like this. If you took uh, silver dollars, put an X on one of them, and then had a stack of silver dollars uh, two feet deep, right? Two feet deep. There would be enough silver dollars stacked two feet deep to cover the entire state of Texas. The entire state of Texas covered two feet deep silver dollars. Well, put somebody in a helicopter, blindfold them, fly them around Texas at random, let them choose when they jump and parachute out. They parachute out and them landing, sifting through the silver dollars, picking up the one that's marked with an X. That's the probability and the chance that they had. That's one to the 10th to the 20th probability. That's how, that's the probability that Jesus would have to fulfill eight or somebody to fulfill eight prophecies from the Old Testament. But Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies. That's astounding. And I think that's one of the reasons why we can trust the Bible. Uh, another reason why I think we can trust the Bible is because of the test of time. Think about it. Uh, there was a group of people dedicated to just copying down the scriptures. They were called scribes. It was the perfect job for any of you who are OCD, right? Like every dot, every comma, every amount of spacing, everything had to be just perfect. And they kept the scriptures unchanged through the centuries. And in fact, another thing as it relates to the test of time is that new archeological discoveries that are taking place all the time those new discoveries aren't causing us to rewrite scripture. Instead, they're just reaffirming what scripture already has said. So as science and archaeology and the different disciplines of life are catching up and revealing and having new discoveries, they're not disproving what the Bible says. No, they're just causing us to, to reaffirm what the Bible has already said. So because of the test of time, it's something that is so, so valid. Number four reason... Uh, why I think we can trust the Bible is because of the eyewitness accounts. Uh, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, and, and he says, hey, these things that we're writing down, we're testifying to them because we have seen and heard and we're giving them to you so that you might have joy in this life. In other words, you might discover joy in following Jesus too because of the change that he's brought in us. And we're just telling you our story as we see it. And as we recall it, here's the deal. The Bible was written by eyewitness accounts in a time when other people saw and witnessed the same thing. If you're going to write an eyewitness account and you're going to tell a story, 
and other people are alive that can validate or fabricate your story, you're going to make sure it's right. In other words, you're not going to write one thing down only to have your next door neighbor come up and totally disprove it, saying that's not what happened. I was there too. You're a liar. That's not true. The thing of it is, when it comes to the scripture and it comes to those in ancient days, nobody wrote anything contrary. Nobody pulled out a paper and says that didn't happen. They couldn't deny those things that they were writing. Why? Because there were so many other people around to collaborate and to confirm what the disciples were saying. And here's another thing, right? If you're going to write a story and it's going to be your own account, uh, and you're going to fabricate it, why not go ahead and like write out and not include all of the things that make you look bad, right? Like if I was Peter having Mark write down this account, I wouldn't include the fact that Jesus told me to shut up and get behind him, Satan, right? Like I wouldn't have written that in. I wouldn't have written uh, and included details about um, the rooster crowing and me denying Jesus. No, I would have left that stuff out. I would have just like shortened the whole story. Yep, Judas stabbed him in the back, betrayed him, he died, he rose again, we all ate fish on the beach the next morning, three days later, it was wonderful, right? Like, I would have left out the entire part about me totally turning my back on Jesus. But they didn't. They included the good, the bad, and the indifferent into their accounts. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why we can trust all of those eyewitness accounts. So I know some of you, you may still have a problem with the Bible, or, or maybe some of you, your problem with the Bible is like, how do I even read it? Maybe I can trust it, I just don't think that I can read it, and I, I don't think that I can understand the Bible. Well, first let me address that. I think that you can understand the Bible. See, anything that you want to understand, it just requires repetition and learning. Uh, if I wanted to learn how to work on a car and get better with car mechanics, which I have no desire to do, uh, if I wanted to do that, I could read manuals and watch tutorials and learn and grow. And through study and through repetition, I could get better and improve that area of understanding in my life. The same is true with the Bible. Most of the time we read it the first time, we're like, oh, this is for and I don't get it. And we just walk away from it. But I think we need to keep reading it. And when we find ourselves repeatedly reading the scripture and we just keep going back to and allowing the scripture to say what it says and we learn from other people around us, I think it begins to change, but change us. But we have to be careful because we could approach reading the scripture wrong. For a lot of people, we read the scripture like a magnifying glass, right? We hold it up and we examine what it says against everybody else's life. I think that's ridiculous. That's not how the Bible, the Bible isn't meant to be a magnifying glass where you're just searching and examining and judging and criticizing and condemning other people. That's not what the Bible's for. The Bible is a story written to help us see Jesus and to see Jesus reflected in our lives. It's much more of a mirror than it is a magnifying glass. So that when you read the Bible, the Bible actually begins to read you. And it becomes a personal endeavor. I think not only can we not, we can't afford to look at the Bible as a magnifying glass, but, but we can't be Bible pluckers, right? No little pluckers allowed when it comes to the Bible. You don't just get to pluck a verse and say, oh, this is what I, this is my verse. This is what I'm going to hold on to. This is, this is the thing. No, you don't get to pluck that out of context because that verse belongs placed within a context 
with other texts surrounding it. And so as you read the Bible, you might read one particular verse, but you need to understand that there is a greater context going on and that content around it helps to inform the cultural understanding. And you can't just take one scripture and because it says it in one place, therefore this end of discussion. No, you need to confirm scripture with scripture. Scripture with scripture. In other words, if it says it in one place, it likely confirms that same idea in another place. You don't just get to read one verse and therefore say that it's okay because you will easily misinterpret scripture if all you're doing is plucking one by one. And at the end of the day, I think we can't afford to just simply reject it. I don't think we can just reject scripture. I think we just need to make a decision to keep reading scripture. If we don't like it, if we don't understand it, just keep reading it. And at the end of the day, I believe it will reveal Jesus to us. It'll reveal Jesus to us. As a church, each uh, sermon and often, sometimes in, a, in an entire series, we um, utilize version, the Bible app, and have reading plans. And so I would encourage you, uh, there's a reading plan that we've uh, sent out a link to this morning on our Facebook page. Uh, it's, in, it's called Evidence, and it's a one-week reading plan. I would encourage you, your next step, simply begin to read. Read along in the, in the Bible app and read every day. And as you take a small step in reading the scripture, I believe that the problem that maybe you had with the Bible might begin to shrink down. And I hope that today, through some of the things that we shared and, and encourage you to continue to study it out, that the problem that maybe you had from your historical context or maybe a skeptical view of God, that maybe just maybe today helped answer some of those questions for you. Hey, can I pray for you? God, thanks for my friends that have tuned in. I pray today would be uh, an encouragement to them. It would be life-giving to them. And Lord, that you would help us take a next step and just keep reading. May we not use the Bible as a bullying stick to beat people up. May we not use it as a magnifying glass to contend or, or to examine somebody else's life, but rather, Lord, let it be something that reflects back to us, that causes us to reflect back on our lives and us to discover who Jesus really is. God, help us to fall in love with your word and in the process, discover more about you as we learn and we continue to grow together. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon.